Yo, what's going on? Yo, it's your boy So So in case you ain't no so and welcome back to another dope episode of Sports with So So. Coming to you live, y'all. This week we're breaking down Dolphins preseason and a great weekend of UFC with a dust up in EPL. It's time to take a ride, y'all. Let's go. Right now, Joel is super impressed. You're super impressed. You got to unmute yourself, though. <laughs> I, I, I am. I am. I am uber impressed. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. Um, what's up, Jesse, man? Welcome back to the program yet again, brother. What's going on? Still, you might want to exit the music. You want, might, might want to lower that. Oh, there we go. There, I got it. Here we go. Hey, man. <laughs> I got back in now. business. Back in business. What's up, Jesse? Doing good, man. Glad to be back. Always good to have you here, man. And uh, we have a jam-packed show for you guys, right? We have the interview I did with Armando um, that we're going to pop in here for 15, 20 minutes. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of happy football is back. And this weekend, we saw some Miami Dolphins football. Looked pretty good. Even though we didn't see a lot of guys, we saw Skyler Thompson play a lot. And I'm kind of interested to see what you guys thought about him. Jesse, we'll start with you. Thompson looks pretty good, man. I don't. I, I like the move of protecting our our guys. We saw some injuries in the first couple of weeks, so it was nice to see them. You know, keep them there safe, and see where our third stringer has. Uh, I would like to see a little bit of uh, reset, you know. But um, I'll take some Tyler. I mean, some Skyler. Right. <laughs> so, what did you think about his performance that game, man? Um, he played the whole game, which was interesting that the Dolphins let him ride the whole game. But he also also showed a couple of flashes here and there, making some plays with his legs, no, most notably. What did you think about his performance? Um, Man, I, I will be honest. I was surprised that we didn't get to see Teddy B go out there and play at least a quarter or, or, some, you know, or something like that. But, you know, they gave the rookie, you know, a shot for the whole game. Um, with obviously the second team he had <clears throat> Preston Williams out there, Lynn Bowden Jr. Um, he had your boy Cedric Wilson out there for a couple of plays. Mike Gusecki, surprisingly, was in the game this kind of start. Uh, so he had some tools, he had some weapons, like some guys that can, you know, potentially be starters. Might not be for us this year, might be for other teams, but they can potentially start, you know, in the NFL or if, if they're not already starting. So it was good to see, you know, him kind of fit well with these guys, even though he's so new to the NFL. Uh, like you mentioned, he made some plays, you know, with his legs. I saw him, you know, tuck the ball and run, right. uh, making a smart decision when he saw an opportunity, he took it. But for the most part, you know, it, it was the past game. And, yeah, he made a couple mistakes in preseason, but in the end, the Dolphins got a dub. And yeah. that goes down after his first NFL win. Absolutely. And more importantly, like you said, you know, he gets that NFL experience, right? For a guy who's a six-round pick, seventh-round pick, like you, those type of guys don't usually get an opportunity to play an entire game, right? Until the season's over and they can't really prove anything to anybody. Um, him starting game one is kind of interesting, right? And just saying, hey, you know what? We don't need two to play right now. You go at it and, and, and show us what you have. And he showed some things, you know. I'm not saying that he's going to be out there fighting for a, uh, the back of quarterback position, but it's going to be nice to have a guy like that around that you can potentially build or mold into either an asset right where he plays for you or you trade him down the line right if he turns out to be something good or somebody something that somebody else wants um joel you mentioned 
Gesicki playing. I thought it was strange that he played also in the sense that he's a normal starter for the Dolphins, and that's kind of a guy that we are depending on. That Shaheen trade didn't go through because of a physical. Do you think that they were trying to show something by having Gesicki out there to, like, prove it, or you think they're trying to trade him? Um, I don't know, man. It might be more so, you know, go out there and get a couple reps. We, we don't know you know, where you stand right now, kind of deal, you know, you franchise tag them, he has one year left, you know, they, they, it might be even a trade, you know, possibility, but I doubt that because of the fact that we, we let go of Matt Collins, who was another one of our tight end slash receivers. Uh, he's over in, in, in Las Vegas now with the Raiders. And, you know, like you mentioned, we were trying to move Shaheen, you know, so right. why would we move Gusecki now? So I, I, I don't know. I, maybe maybe the Dolphins just wanted to give him as much reps. He wasn't in the game the whole game. He was only in the, I think, the first quarter. But, yeah, again, it's to, to see that the rest of the starters that we care about, you know, Armstead, Tua, right. Otto, you know, uh, Edmonds, Mostert, those guys were not in the game, anywhere near the game, and not in pads or nothing. Right. And like he was out there taking a couple snaps. So that, I don't know. Well, what do you think? I thought that it was interesting that they that they might be playing as something larger, right? It could be that, that they just want him to get reps, or it could be a message to him to say, like, hey, listen, this is put-up-or-shut-up type year, right, where there's a contract on the line here. You want X amount of money. We decided to franchise tag you, and now we're going to figure out who was right here, right, and see what type of production he gets. Um, but, you know, to kind of wrap up what we saw in the game before we head on into the next game that they got coming up, some some a couple of guys did stand out during that game, you know. Jesse, did anybody in particular stand out to you watching that game? I think like everyone else, all eyes on quarterback. Yeah. You know? Um, I think that's the position that we've historically needed help in. And it's always all eyes on the quarterback position. So I, I mean, like Joel capped it pretty well. I think that we learned a lot, you know, but it's good to see somebody has legs in the quarterback position and kind of has a pretty good arm, right? So he can move and he can throw in the pocket and he has a, a pretty good arm. I think historically we've had out-of-the-pocket quarterbacks. Right. Um, and, you know, we, it would be nice to have someone that can stay in the pocket but also adjust and move if necessary. So I thought that was a good flash for him. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's uh, it would have been nice to see our second stringer get some reps. Absolutely. Um, let's look forward into the, the next preseason game that they got, right? A lot of the reports that I was listening to and reading today said that these guys are going to be um, guys like Tua, Mozart, Edmonds. They're going to start to get more reps in the second game. How do you guys feel about that? Because me personally, I feel like these guys have to play as much as they can in the preseason, albeit, you know, I'm not talking about a full half, but they need to get those reps in those series ends where they can kind of build some momentum only on the precipice that the beginning of the season is so tough. We play four tough teams to start the season. You're going to need to have some type of chemistry heading into those games. No, they, they absolutely need to play. <clears throat> they didn't play at all this game. The preseason is shortened up now. It's one less game. So that means that we only have two games before we're, we're full steam, you know. I know they got to make a lot of decisions, cut down the roster, down to the 53-man roster by the opening day. Right. So there's a lot going on, and a lot of guys need play time. But at the end of the day, the guys that right now that really matter are are the guys that are going to be out there, you know, on the field day one. And those guys, I we need these guys, like you said, to have to develop some chemistry. Uh, so I'm expecting at least a half out of our starters for this next game 
against the um, the, the Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. Jesse, do you think that Tua plays, you know, like Joel saying, is he going to play more than a series or is he going to play like a, a quarter? What do you think he's going to play? Man, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't play him. Eesh. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they don't play him. Maybe they'll play uh, Jacoby and give him some reps and then, you know, maybe getting closer to the regular season, maybe they'll play him, you know, a couple games just to save him because right. there's been some injuries. Uh, some big ones, you know, some scary ones. And, and you've seen all the other teams adjust and not play their starters. Um, so we'll see, man. I think uh, – I, I don't think they're going to play him. That's my – that's what I think. Yeah. That's my prediction. That's a good prediction, right? Pretty solid, Joel. I think – I'm on the boat that I think they are going to play Tua, you know, in this next upcoming game against the Raiders because, you know, you kind of want to see – it happened on the real field, right? Like, we've seen him connect with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in training camp and practice and stuff like that. And that stuff is great. It really excites the fans. But it, it only matters when it's happening in a game that matters, right? And, and not to say that this game matters, but it has that game-like feel, right, where a guy is rushing our quarterback. There's guys doing stunts, inside-outside moves on the O-line. Can they block for two seconds and get to a, an opportunity to find Tyreek Hill or, or Waddle down the field? Those are the little things that I think we need to work on. So I'm hoping that those guys play. We saw that a majority of the offensive line started this game, and that was surprising to me um, because I didn't think that they would do it. But it makes sense because that's another unit that needs some type of chemistry. A hundred percent. So what place what place was our O line last year out of thirty two teams in the NFL? Dead what last. place did the Miami Dolphins come in? Dead last, brother. Dead last. You know, and uh get them to fucking play, bro. Armstead, you weren't here, we can pardon you. You know, we you're the big money guy, we definitely don't want to risk you. You we know what you can bring to the table. These right. guys on the other hand, get your ass in there. So you know what I'm saying? Like we we need these guys to get their reps, bro. And and they, they didn't look fantastic. No, nope. they didn't look you know their best. But you know, again, they didn't have their best O linemen. And at the same time, it's the first you know live action game that we get, not just one on one drills and stuff like that. So um, there's there's you know there's there's room for improvement. But I think that we we've made the right moves in the off season to to you know kind of get us on the way to where we needed to be with that O line. And, yeah, I'm excited, man, for this next game. I mean, dude, I've been watching all these preseason games, dog. It has been, it has been the best. I, I love that football is back because without it, I'm miserable. I mean, we know that everybody has a fantasy draft coming up, right? I'm sure you guys do, too. So it makes sense to try to watch as much fantasy, like preseason games as possible to be like, all right, who's the fifth guy on the roster here that in case this guy gets hurt, I'm going to pick him up before anybody else knows. And these are the games that you find those type of talents, right? Not only for fantasy football, but NFL teams also, right? They're always looking to see who got cut, who got traded. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on for the podcast and the Dolphins is like, we're, we're kind of thin right now at cornerback, right? We know that Noah Ignabi, uh murdered his game, his last name, but he's he's not been playing well, right? Getting torched in practice, getting torched in preseason. High draft pick for us. Our next best corner, that's not Xavier Howard or Byron Jones, he goes down, which is Trill, with an ACL injury. He's out for the year. Do you think the Dolphins make a move and go get a guy like Joe Hayden, a proven guy who, you know, they probably have to go pay for, but ultimately they make the signing and, and get a cornerback to fill in that position of need? 
Well, I think did, did we lost Joel there. I have lost Joel. It's all right. We'll keep I'm still running. here, but I don't know what happened to my video. All right, buddy. Uh, um, go ahead. Anyways, no, nah, man. Yeah, guys. All right. <laughs> We're losing you. Hold on a second. I don't think your connection is that good. Give it a second. Yeah, I'm and, sorry. And join back. Um, Jesse, kind of jump in there for him. What do you think yep. that that you know, we can do in order to to have some type of consistency, some type of uh, backup plan for cornerbacks because we're kind of thin at that position on defense. And this defense should be one of the better defenses available. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I, I feel like almost year after year, we kind of find ourselves really thin in certain positions, specific, specifically defense. Well, you know, we ramp up the defense Obviously, the last couple of years, our defense has ramped up. We're, we're on a different level than we were before. But we can't have this gap, you know, in the cornerback's position. So, you know, I think uh, Dolphins got to keep their eyes peeled, man, and, and, you know, keep that scouting going and try to figure out what opportunities we have right now to get a young stud or, you know, maybe a, you know, a Band-Aid for now, right? But I think long-term, that's going to be a position that we need to focus on, whether it's, uh, you know, putting something together for a trade, filling in that gap or, you know, trying to get a young talent that we can either develop or that's, you know, a young stud. So yeah. that's a tough, that's a tough position to be in, but I think we'll, we'll figure it out for sure. I'm hoping that we do, man. And I'm hoping that we kind of can find a guy, like I said, in the, in that free agency pool, I got cut and now I played for three years out of team. Like they cut me because they didn't want to pay me. And we can sign a guy like that because ultimately that's um, something that's really going to push the needle for, for the Dolphins. Let's jump into MMA, brother, because uh, that's your special, one of your specialties. We had a great card over the weekend. Uh, it was kind of like a title eliminator fight or a top contender eliminating fight where we saw um, Thiago Santos, right, fighting Hill. Oh, for this particular fight, you mean uh, Marlon Vera and Dominic Bear, Cruz. Right, Bear and Cruz, yes. And uh, Vera, yeah. uh, <laughs> these guys have fought before, right? And... Um, They've never really caught each other when they were both at their peak. We saw that Vera had those issues with testing positive, and then he had to got stripped, came back. Um, Dominic Cruz had the belt for a while. He was in extreme, um, came into WEC, and then like dominated that division. Came into UFC, started to dominate there as well. Took his lumps, took his losses, but climbed his way back up at a, a kind of a you know late age to be a real legitimate contender for the championship belt and um we just saw vera uh, chico vera go out there and really put a hell of a performance what did you think about that main event my god man listen that that was uh that was a really good chess match you know between who has a harder chin who has the bigger shots and uh we saw two completely different styles we saw one very patient chico vera land some you know heavy heavy punches you can see the power difference between him and Dominic but you can also see the size difference uh and their preparation the day of the weigh-ins like their weight cut you can tell Cheeto's a bigger uh guy that cuts a lot more weight and you you know Dominic is a two-time champ uh fighting to be a three-time champ and uh you know he's maintained that weight like you said he, you know he was champ in 2010 he's maintained his relevant relevancy in the top 10 for the last 12 years I mean, that's that's huge. And if you actually look at how many fights he has, he actually doesn't have that many fights in the UFC. But every single fight um, is a big fight, and it's a fight that we want to watch. I think Cheeto Vera, man, I think he's going to be a champ. 
I, I really believe he's going to be a champ. When you look at his last three wins, you know, he, he beat Sean O'Malley knockout. He yep. uh, front kicked uh, Frankie Edgar, you know, another a vicious front kick, you know, another uh, former champ that has accomplished a lot. He has the most octagon octagon time in the UFC. Uh, and then he comes and knocks out, uh, you know, Cruz. It's three back-to-back big statements. Um, I think uh, I think this is leading up to be a huge match if O'Malley beats Peter Yan. I think it will be a rematch. That's a big, big if, man. And you know what? When we talk about that pay-per-view that's coming up on that card, um, you know, it, it, we've seen, we're starting to see these next couple of cards really stack up. I mean, we have Usman Edwards, uh, August 20th, right, this weekend. Second time that these guys are fighting and they're headlining a monster card. Tell me what you think about that fight. That's another big one, man. Uh, Edwards hasn't lost since his last loss against Usman. Sheesh. He's on a ten-fight unbeaten streak, um, so he's he, they're they're reuniting in this big, you know, full circle. Uh, Usman is fully undefeated, number one pound-for-pound fighter. I think Edwards has a great chance. He's uh, kind of awkward. He, he has a tank. Um, they already fought one time. Obviously, uh, Usman won that fight. And, and what it was, it was a kickboxing match with a wrestler. Uh, and every time Edwards will get into a rhythm, uh, Usman would take him down in the middle of that rhythm, whether a kick, whether a punch. He would just go straight into wrestling and, and take him down. So, you know, I think uh, Usman is obviously prepared. He's a number one pound-for-pound fighter. But I think that Edwards has had a lot of time, a lot to think, you know, a lot of preparation. He has a lot of film uh, that he could study. Um, where other fighters have had success against him. You know, he, there's a lot of instances. This is not like a person like John Jones that nobody can right. figure him out because nobody has really hit him right. until, until really recent in his career. Uh, in this case, you have a person that, that has been hit and that has been hurt, but somehow recovers and really puts it together and, and ramps up as the rounds go on. Yeah, that's going to be a very cool fight, bro. And for a lot of the reasons that you said, but like, you know, Leon has something to prove, you know, he has kind of like a bad name in the, some of the inner circles outside of the octagon. Right. When it comes to fighting, um, all the stuff that happened with George Masvidal on backstage and all their beef and shit. And we've seen Usman step to every single challenge that's been presented to him. Wrestlers, brawlers, strikers, jiu-jitsu artists, uh, black belts, you name it, he's handling it. And if you think about what can Leon really offer Usman in the ring, in that octagon, I don't know if it's enough, right? Because Usman is so well-rounded. Now, the only thing that Usman has kind of in a negative light is that... you know, Edwards is younger than him and probably healthier. Doesn't have as many body issues. You know, we know that Usman has those issues with his knees and stuff like that. Edwards is probably going into the fight healthier than the two because we haven't seen Usman fight for a while. But still, his age and, and those old bones, they account for something. It's going to be interesting to see if Leon pushes the pace. If you had to predict a, uh, an outcome, what do you think would be more uh, common? Uh, an actual TKO where some one of these guys put each other's out, right, and knock the lights out? Or are, are you looking to see to see some type of submission in this fight? Um, well, Usman has had one submission, and he uh, Darth choked uh, Haider Hassan, actually here in uh, Hollywood, uh, in his first debut fight. 
so he his first debut fight in the UFC, he got a submission. Everything else has been decisions or knockouts. So it's not that he's not capable. I just don't. I feel that he has to be in a bad position to go for a submission. If that makes mm, sense, that he makes sense. doesn't his submissions. That's a defense of mentality for him rather than an offense. I think he's relies a lot on his tank and his power um, and his tenacity. I think his mental state is above all. I think he's a, the, the most mentally uh, firm person in the UFC right now where it's you're not going to break. Again, like I said, Usman's been knocked down several times. He was knocked down by Gilbert Burns, first punch of the fight. Uh, shocker, right? He recovered, came back, knocked him out in the third or fourth round. Um, so we know that this guy can be put in really bad positions and come back and, and, and fight back. It's that mental toughness right. is on another level. So when I look at Edwards... In his last fight, you know, he he deserves his title shot. He probably deserved his title fight before that. And that's why I have so much respect for him because he didn't need to take that fight. He fought Nate Diaz, beat the shit out of Nate Diaz for five rounds. Yeah, Nate Diaz really did. caught him with one punch at the end of the fifth round that almost knocked him out. He, he had him hurt. If Nate Diaz would have been more aggressive and came at him, I think Nate Diaz would have finished the fight. I think Nate Diaz chose not to do that because – he wants to put on that dramatic and that, that dramatic show and that call out and that right. and that's, that's really him. That's his real persona. With that being said, I think that it's hard to say that I'm confident that, you know, Edwards is going to come and overturn it. But this, this is why we watch every week. Right. Like we've seen so many upsets. We've seen so many protégés come up and fight other protégés and win. And those go on to be champs and the other guys go on to be nothing. You know, so uh, I don't think that that's going to be the case with either one of these guys. But I think Edward has something for him. And I think it's going to be a five round fight. Nice. I don't think it's going to be a, a clash of the Titans type fight. I think it's going to be a strategic chess, chess match or five rounds and see if he can catch him with something. That'll you be know, great. We'll That'll be great, man. That'll be great. And, and um, you know, that's interesting. That's an interesting take there because I, I can kind of see it going five rounds, right? Because neither one of these guys are really being submissive or quick to quit in their fights. And they both face major adversity in the octagon. So, yeah, and fighting for the belt, man, they're, they're, it probably will go five rounds if, if it's not an early knockout. I'm predicting Usman winning by knockout because I think... Leon is going to try to push the pace too much where he's going to make himself vulnerable, slip, and Usman's going to be right there to catch him either with like a right hook or something like that. Kind of like he caught Masvidal, right, where Masvidal was trying to be the aggressor and then boom, lights out. You know, you came too close and now I caught you. So let's see how it ends up this this weekend. And uh, we have two more fights on that card that are going to be pretty interesting. We got a, another uh, title contender elimination fight between Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold in the middleweight division. And we also have jo- Ho- Jose Aldo fighting Mered de Vichli. I, I know I'm kidding. Mered de Vichli. You know, tell me what you think about those fights real quick. Uh, let's start with the uh, Jose Aldo fight. All right, so this one is Jose Aldo versus Marab Bashili. Correct. So Marab is undefeated, um, and he's coming. He's a Dagestanian Russian wrestler. Um, that is his specialty. I, I say that he is top two wrestler in the UFC all across all divisions, in my opinion, behind Makhchev. And I think he probably has better, uh, you know, wrestling than the champ, uh, pound for pound champ. 
I think this guy's an incredible talent. I, I am rooting for him, but this is a fight that I don't really care who wins because I'm a huge Aldo fan and I love Aldo and I respect Aldo. And He's I, a legend, I've been fighting for He's so much, Matt, for so many years. I've been watching him for, you know, 15 years since he was in the WEC fighting Uriah Faber, you know, on pay-per-view that, you know, it wasn't even a big thing back then. But right. this it was just, uh, you know, the word of mouth of this Brazilian guy that's leg kicking the shit out of everybody and who is this guy? And that's what it was 15 years ago. And and that's kind of why I started following him at an early and age. He's still but, doing it now. Sheesh. You know, and he's, and he's just a legend. He's a hall, future hall of famer. For still sure. has the, the, the admiration uh, for the sport. You know, he still respects the sport. And I think that people that respect the sport and respect their opponents go a long way, you know, have a long career. So I think, this is a win, win, win for the fans. Absolutely. You know, this is a win, win for the fans. Uh, I would love to see, I would love to see Aldo, but I think Marab's gonna really I think put so the too. rest thing in, and it's just it's just on another level. Marab, uh, you know, if you don't know the story behind Marab, Marab is Aljamain Sterling's training partner, the champ in that division. They've avoided each other their entire careers. They don't want to yep. fight each other. Yep. Uh, they said, they're real boys. They're real boys. I said it. You know, he's on video saying that he doesn't want to, he would not want to fight him because they're, they're friends and, uh, you know, but it, it would be interesting if he pairs a couple more wins, then what? Because Aljamain's at the top and you can't run away. I mean, it's like we talked about it with Francesco Ricci in our interview with him, right? He's the bare knuckle middleweight champion. Uh, he only fought for the belt because he was fighting his friend who was also willing to fight for the belt. And that's the only way that they would fight for it, right? I get the same feeling with uh, Mareb and uh, Aljamain Sterling, right? Where it's like, man, I won't fight you unless it's for the belt. And we're both going to get paid for this, right? Where we're both going to come out of here helping our families um, with a ton of respect and, and be able to put on a great show, which will further boost our careers, right? I think that's the only way it'll make sense for them. And it starts with getting big victory this card against Jose Aldo. And if he can pull that off for, for Mareb, that'll be huge. It'll be huge. What, this will be a huge win for, for Aldo. Yeah, I honestly, would too. This would be top three wins in his career. I think this is one of the top prospects in that division. And I For think sure. he's going to be a champ. I think this is a guy that eventually Marab is going to be a champ. Yeah. Right. Cause if, if Aljamain Sterling finds a way to keep going up and wait, right. Because he can't keep cutting weight like that forever. So and maybe it might not be against Aljamain. I mean, Aljamain has a big, uh, a big bite uh, coming up for, uh, you know, and TJ Dillashaw and yeah, TJ Dillashaw. A huge fight. Been a champ. Already get cuts the weight. Yep. Uh, there's controversy in that fight. But he also has to get through TJ first, you know. So there's so many good fighters in that division. I love the bantamweight, featherweight, and lightweight just because, man, these guys are so fast. And then we can also see them fight other guys that we like in other divisions because they can move up and go down. So, so fluid. Interesting. It's, it's interesting. Um, and one of those fluid divisions is that middleweight division. And we got Luke Rockhold fighting Paulo Costa. Man. This is going to be a, a fireworks display, right? Definitely somebody's getting knocked out here. This is a fight for the fans. Yeah. This is specifically tailored for the fans. You know, I love Luke Rockhold. Much respect to Luke Rockhold. He's another UFC uh, legend. This guy has been a, a model. He's been a TV actor. He doesn't have to fight. You know, bottom line, he doesn't have to fight. He's in great shape. You know, he has another. This is another guy who has mental toughness. Been knocked out viciously. You know, Yoel Romero, right. Rockowitz, 
two vicious knockouts, and he still wants to fight. Man, listen, not a lot of people get through no. what he got through Absolutely and are in the not. shape that he's in. Like, none of that is taken for granted. Yeah. Uh, so he's much respect to him and for taking to fight that guy, this chiseled Beast. Greek mythology lord. I don't know. Dude, this guy looks insane. He's I mean, if you have, did you see the pictures of him at 185? That yeah, he's... man. And, and what's funny is that Paulo Costa normally, normally is like walking around 215, 225. Because he's that big, dog. Like that muscle bound. And if he wants to balloon up and really put on weight, he can do so, man. The fact that he's fighting in that middleweight division is like, whoa. Whoa, how does he do it, man? Not a good fight to take. That's a hard fight to take after three years. That's yeah. why it's like, man, you want to fight that guy? I, right. I get that he's been exposed in different fights because he, he's still a hard puzzle. Like, Holocaust is strong. You yeah, can't take bro. Come on. That's the thing. Like, you don't got that much time to solve the puzzle if no. you're taking a shot. So, he reminds me a lot of your old Romero, right? A guy who's physically a freak and has an engine to keep going, right? And if he can land punches on you, he, those punches are going to hurt. He may not be the best, but those punches are going to hurt. It's going to be a great card, man. I can't wait to catch it, man. I can't wait to catch it. There's a lot coming. Um, and in this, and even in this past week in spite, there is a lot, man. There's a, a couple emerging talents. Um, I don't know if you got to watch the Nate uh, Luter fight versus David Onama. Uh, that was the co-main event. I honestly yeah. have seen maybe one of those guys fight, and I didn't understand exactly why this is the co-main event because I really didn't, you know, catch on to it till the day before watching it. Right. And uh, what an amazing two talents! Uh, I'd say that was probably fight of the year. Um, those two guys, man, it was really exciting. Especially for a card like that, right? Where um, you, you, you're not get you're not getting guys who are household names, guys who are hungry, trying to make a name for themselves, and really putting on a great performance, like you said, giving an opportunity to fight on a U, UFC undercard, which obviously provided a, millions of views. So anytime right. you can put a good performance out there, man, you, you're doing yourself a good service there. Just a little honorable mention. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Jess, bro, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. I'm sorry that Joel couldn't hang out. His phone sucks. He's probably an Android user, so we're going to have to give him for, for something else, man. But, um, bro, I can't wait to keep kicking it with you, man. And you know we're definitely going to touch base next week after this card. Sounds good, man. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Talk to you soon. All righty. Take care, man. Peace. Now it's time to finish up the podcast. And before I let you guys know, uh, let you guys go, uh, a quick word, right, on the Chelsea game from this weekend. Uh, Chelsea played Tyneham at the Stanford Bridge. Uh, I predicted a draw, right, because I knew the games are usually tough between these two teams. But I just really have to say this, right? What I saw on, on Sunday was abysmal, abysmal refereeing. Um, Anthony Taylor, man. For a guy who's not a soccer head, wasn't born in Europe, doesn't really take soccer that serious like that, like the rest of these guys do in the in the soccer world, what what I saw from this guy as far as officiating was so like subpar that it really did a disservice to the game. The game could have been great on its own, uh, and it really was great on its own. But some of the calls that he made just really killed it. For not only myself as a Chelsea fan, I'm sure he killed it for a lot of Tottenham fans, and ultimately. It sucked. Um, the game had a lot of fireworks, right? And again, it didn't need any of that extra refereeing crap when you had the two managers, Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte, both uh, current and former head coaches at Chelsea. It, 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 you're going to get those type of fireworks, and we got it, right? These guys had a, uh, like a little scuffle where there was some disrespect with the 
call being made and like the foul not being called and it leading to a goal for Tottenham. I I don't know, man. As a Chelsea fan, like I get it. Yeah, I'm upset, right? Because we ultimately tied a game that we should have won. But as a soccer fan, I don't like it when referees decide the game, when referees uh, don't make an obvious call that leads to big errors, right? Those are the type of things that kill the sport, in my opinion. And for soccer, um, it's a fine line, you know, and a lot of people feel that way about it. So I don't know, man. Bad bad draw, but hey, listen, I got my prediction right, so what can I say? Uh, it ended up at 2-2 with a tie. Uh, the first goal by Koulibaly. Uh, his first goal as a Chelsea player, he got the assist from Mark Cucurella, another Chelsea player making their debut at Stanford Bridge off a corner kick. Uh, beautiful strike. He landed it with his right foot and into the back end of the net. And the second goal provided by an, uh, a Chelsea Academy product, Reese James, got the assist there from... Uh, I believe that was Sterling who gave him the assist, yeah. And Reese put it back behind the goal for what he thought was the game winner, and then a bunch of, you know, shenanigans happened, and Tottenham ended up getting a goal off a corner when they should have had a player sent off for pulling Cucurella's hair. I'll post a video later on Twitter. Make sure to follow me on that. Um, But for now, it's time to end this podcast. We're going to put that Armando Salguero uh, interview that I had with him earlier today. And uh, it's time to let you guys know to tell a friend, to tell another friend, to tell another friend, to tell another friend, to tell another friend. Guys, this podcast can't grow unless you guys tell a friend. We're giving you guys all the content that you need every week and we're putting out more interesting topics like interviews 365 game of the week and championship games so make sure to tune in follow us on all that social media hit that subscribe like and comment button on youtube and until next time peace what's up guys and now joining us on the sports with so-so podcast we have miami's own amaldo salguero now of the nfl senior writer for outkick.com formerly of a bunch of newspapers down here we won't get into those guys because we're looking towards the future but armando man thank you so much for making the time to join us here on the sports with so-so podcast uh so so man it's my pleasure um you know anytime i could do a solid for a fellow cane lover. Yes, then, sir. Then I'm going to do it and we're, we'll represent together. What about that? I like it, man. I like it. That's a great start, bro. And uh, kind of like we were talking about off air, we were both excited for the hurricane season coming up. Um, a lot of good things to look forward to. And the reason why we're having you on is because we have uh, that same kind of excitement with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I know that we had that first preseason game with Tampa Bay and we got that out of the way. Nobody of no, no necessarily played, but I want to know what your takeaway was mainly about Skyler uh, Thompson and how he played and some of the guys that you didn't expect to play a lot of minutes that got a lot of minutes. Yeah. So look, my takeaway from the first preseason game is, is the first preseason game. There are, <laughs> you know, the preseason. So, so is not about, uh, looking at teams or judging teams. It's about judging individuals, right? Right. Because, you know, we don't know what the, what, what the Dolphins are. We don't know really what any of these teams are. We don't know what the Tampa Bay Bucks are because the guys that we saw on the field in that preseason game are, A, going to be on the bench in the regular season <laughs> or going to be unemployed or playing somewhere else. Right. Right to find somewhere else. So it's as simple as that. 
Um, but from an individual standpoint, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I liked them. I, I thought that I liked Egovan the way he played. I liked their, their secondary, the way they played. Um, you know, the offensive lines work, right? Right. <laughs> Even the backups. And the backups to the backups, it's a work in progress, I think. But the good news is you look at, if you're looking at the opener with the New England Patriots, they got issues too now. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're not a team. Their their offense got issues. And so, um, you know. And you, and you know, it's funny, you mentioned the, the Patriots exactly because a lot of the, the hype was around their quarterback, right? And how much better he was than Tua and all this stuff. But we haven't really, I haven't seen, maybe you've seen something different, but I haven't really seen a lot from Mac Jones to be like, yeah, that guy is clear and above better than Tua. If anything, in the little time that they've had played games, um, you can kind of point towards Tua being the better of the two, right? The benefit that... Uh, I think Mac Jones had was in his coaching staff. Now Tua has this great coaching staff who's offensive oriented, offensive minded. What do you think that offense is going to look like with all the pieces that we had? Is it going to be enough to have Tua look like the quarterback we thought he can be? Wow. That's a lot, a lot to unpack. Let's, let's take it a little bit at a time. If we can, we got time, right? Absolutely, bro. All right. So Mac Jones, the man is is ranked, you know, the NFL top 100 came out. Right. And which is a vote of NFL players. And he was number 85. <laughs> and I saw Mac Jones at number 85 and he's ahead. He's higher than Von Miller, uh, Lattimore, the cornerback from the Saints. Uh, he's higher than uh, Odell Beckham Jr., and I'm thinking, wow, this is a little bit of surprise to me because if I was building a team, I'm not sure that I would take Mac Jones over any of those guys, okay? Or let alone see how he made a top 100. <laughs> and yet there he is. Um, and I get it. Look, he, he's, he's a smart cat. He's, he's, he's going to deliver good enough usually but the question is not in the NFL good enough the question at quarterback in the NFL is are you elite and that's where I get to Tua Tua has not been what anyone expected the first two years I think even the biggest Tua fans would say to you we want more we expect more and this year, because he is surrounded by more talent, he should deliver more. And that's what I expect, too. I think Tua will be better this year than he was the first couple of years, certainly. Absolutely. Will he be elite? Mm. Will he be on his way to elite? I have doubts about that. What are, um, what are your main doubts about that? Like, well, give me your top two doubts. Durability. Okay, that's fair. So he's played two seasons and he's had times where, I mean, last year they had to go with Jacoby Brissett for what, five games or something like that? Right. Um, that That's not good. You, you got you to gotta be available. 
to be good. Right. Uh, and so that's doubt number one that I have. Doubt number two is um, the processing. And what I mean by that is, does Dan Marino knew what he was going to do, you know, and when things went sideways, there was this quickness in here and here that he just reacted and it was boom and the ball is out. And with Tua and with a lot of quarterbacks, honestly, it's right. Okay, that guy, actually, it's this way. Okay, that guy's <laughs> covered. Let me look over there. Uh, yeah, well, can I fit it? In? It's almost like it's taking him a, a minute to figure it out. And it's got to be instinctive. It's got to, you got to play faster. You got to recognize faster. You have to, you know, release faster. It all has to, fa- you know, Work quicker Um, at the speed of the NFL, right? Because that's usually what the guys talk about. The difference in speed between college and the NFL. It's, it's very noticeable. And I think that that's kind of what you're relating to when it comes to Tua, especially with his decision-making. Well, it's not just speed of the NFL. It's speed of the NFL to be okay. And then there's speed to be elite. And the elites, they just, it, it's almost like they don't even have to think about it. They just react and it happens for them. You know, Patrick Mahomes, I know that Tyreek Hill has said a lot of things comparing to his accuracy to Patrick Mahomes. A lot. But what he said he a lot. Said is Patrick Mahomes, when things break down, he'll do this without looking. And yeah. it's completed for 18 yards. Or he'll you know, he'll take off and and run and, you know, break the defense's soul, picking up 11 yards on third and 10. Right. Um, That kind of stuff, Josh Allen, the same way, that kind of stuff, you can't teach. It's not developed. You're born with it. And so I thought that early on, Tua was born with it at Alabama, but I haven't seen that guy with the Miami Dolphins. I agree, and that's fair, right? Because the the coach that he played under when he first got in the NFL was completely defensive-minded, really didn't pay attention to the offense of what was going on with it, right? He entrusted in the wrong people over and over again, right? Because he had so much turnover in the offensive coordinator position that it didn't allow Tua to build some type of base, right? So I kind of can defend Tua in that light. But I'm with you. I'm really of the school where I kind of need to see him really take that jump. Not necessarily with those Patrick Mahomes type plays, right? Because that's he's one of one. But enough to win games consistently, right? A problem for me for the Dolphins has always been that they'll lose two games, four games in a row, right, to start the season. And then all of a sudden they'll rise back up and win another four, five, six, seven games in a row and then crash again right before they can make some type of playoff run or something like that. I'd like to see some type of consistency where we win 
four or five games in a row, lose a game, lose two games, jump back and get another four or five game winning streak, three game winning streak. Those are signs of a good team developing into a real playoff contender or at least a team that's going to be there because right now we're not at the Bills level, right? But we're definitely, in my opinion, heads and shoulders above the Pats and the Jets in our division. Why not go for that wild card spot? Am I off base there with what I'm thinking? Um, no. No, as far as the division, I think that the that the Dolphins are are better, have more talent now than the Patriots. Definitely more than the Jets. The Jets are still a work in progress, and they're you know a step behind everybody else in the division. But wild card, um, there's a lot of good teams in the AFC. Unfortunately, if the Dolphins were an NFC team, I I would say yes. But bro. The AFC has loaded up. I mean, there's any team in the AFC West could contend for for a a division championship in the other divisions. And still Um, win 11 games and come in second place in that division. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, who do you just eliminate in that division and go, no, you're not making the playoffs? It's going to be a dogfight. The Cincinnati Bengals are not – that wasn't a mistake last year. Mm. Joe Burrow is for real. Jamar Chase is for real. T. Higgins is for real. That They've got a lot of playmakers, and now they got guys that can get in people's way. Right. I have doubts about their, their defense, but they were good enough and disciplined enough. The Cleveland Browns, you know, we don't That's know. A, what's going to happen? Right. Kobe Brissett, you know, whatever. That's right, we know what that's going to be. <laughs> but the Baltimore Ravens, they're going to get Lamar back. They got Lamar yeah. back now. And they're running so, backs. So it's like, they, you know, the AFC is just loaded. It, uh, you know, one team is going to get out of the, the AFC South, right? Right. So either Indianapolis or the Titans or somebody. But... I mean, the West can have three teams in the playoffs. The other three divisions are going to have three teams in the playoffs. That's one spot left for everybody else. But but if we're honest, Armando, right, we've seen that this team has been on the cusp of making that playoff jump, right? Making that playoff jump. And most of the times it's been not necessarily the quarterback spot. Yeah, that's the first thing that we can point to, but maybe the coaching wasn't good enough. Maybe we didn't have as many explosive players as we should have. Now I feel like we do have that combination, right, where we have the explosive talent. Waddle's there. uh, Tyreek Hill's there. Um, On defense, we have guys who can make plays on the ball. And now we have a coaching staff, right, that's, again, you know, I say offensive-minded, but really – o-line dominant where they can say hey this is how we're going to block because we come from this shanahan tree of coaching maybe this is the right type of recipe to i'm not going to say that we're making the playoffs honestly but just be in that contention like i was talking about because if tua can make that leap to be closer to elite right or on his way to be elite then that's automatically another three wins in my book right because those are those games that you play twice against the Jets and you win and you go out there and you beat them real easy. And then you get another victory against um, the Patriots, right? And you probably split there. For me, I said it on the earlier podcast episode. I think that the key to making the playoffs this year for the Dolphins is beating Buffalo one time. 
Because if they can beat Buffalo one time and get a split, that'll bode really well for how they feel about their division, right? And an extra game in their pocket that they weren't expecting to win. What do you think about that? I got to look at when it is that the Dolphins play the Bills on the schedule because I don't have the schedule memorized. Um, I'll look it up. You can go ahead. Yeah, so assuming that they can split, the chances of a split are better if you catch them early. Right. Um, uh, I don't know if they play them early or not. And um, also, if you catch them late when they've already clinched all their stuff. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Let me see here. So, uh, go ahead. So, uh, they don't, they play them September 25th. Right. That's, so that's pretty the, much at the beginning of the season. Yeah. It's the, it's the, what, the fourth game, game of the season, third game of the season. Okay. That's, and in, I believe it's, oh, uh, well, I believe that's Hard Rock Stadium. Yes, sir. We're good. We're good. That's the, going to be hot. But I, I think that the precipice is just like let's let's mentally win that battle, right? Obviously win the game, but let's let's tell ourselves that with this team, we're closer to getting to being a Buffalo type team. Because it took Buffalo a couple of years to get Josh Allen going, get Stefan Diggs in the house, build up the defense, get it to another level, face the AFC uh, eventual champions, lose to them in heartbreaking fashion, and and get ready to prime up and go back at them again. I feel like the Dolphins can start that process this year if we can beat the Buffalo Bills and, and you know, get off to a really good start for the season. Because it's so, not going to so be easy. You mentioned one thing, and I, and I want to address it because I hear it a lot. And that is the comparison of Josh Allen's first three years to Tua's, you know, or Josh Allen's first two years to Tua's first two years because they have similar stats, Right. Right. So, here's the problem. Josh Allen is six foot five and two hundred and fifty pounds, and runs like a four five nine, and he has this this thing on the where his arm would be. It's not an arm; it, it's a cannon. It's a freaking howitzer, and the thing is, he loves football so i don't think the dude has any life whatsoever apart from football he loves football he loves to practice he loves to study he loves to work it's like he's a beast at all these things and that's how you go from being great potential and all the tools but no accuracy to great potential all the tools accurate and productive in the NFL. That's right. how he did it. And plus he had some really good coaching under the same system. Tua is, you know, six foot, 217 pounds, does not, he, he's neither fast nor quick. He's elusive, but not fast nor quick. He's got a good enough arm, not a great arm, good enough. And one of the things that, that Flores had a problem with uh, the last couple of years was he wanted him to to prepare more, longer, harder. I don't know, whatever. Right. Be a study, a study guy. Yeah, he had it going on with Tua. He had like this this thing about Tua that ultimately led him to want Deshaun Watson. 
the point being, Tua has a ceiling, and it's here, and let's hope that he gets there. The ceiling for Josh Allen is, like, here. Right. MVP status. He just has the, 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 you know, God just decided I'm going to make this guy different looking. Yeah. Um, And so I think that Tua can still be very good. I still, I think he can, it can work for him. The other thing I don't like is this. So Tua had one offense his rookie year with Chan Gailey. Right. Then he had the other, another offense his second year. Well, wait, he had like four different offenses throughout that second year. So it's like multiple offenses. Coordinators and a guy in his ear that was calling the plays and also giving his opinion. And now this year he's working in his third offense in three years in the NFL. And oh, by the way, at Alabama, he had three offenses in three consecutive years as well. Exactly. So my dude is like on his sixth offense in the last six years. And as a human, that's got to be driving him crazy. Right. How do you build that consistency or foundation? It's tough. Exactly. He's never going to say it, but that's, that's hard. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. Yeah. And Josh Allen didn't have to deal with that. Uh, he had the same offense. He knew the same people were going to be in the same place. And he was hearing the same coach on the same headset. Right. You know, every single down and repetition and practice, every single down in in games, day in, day out. Tua is like, who's, who's this year Mike McDaniel is going to be on the headset and calling the plays. But, you know, I mean, it's different. It's still different and it's still new and it's something that they're going to have to adjust to, right? And a lot of the reports that I've been hearing and reading like yours, right, from training camp is that there there has there seems to be some type of different rapport between McDaniels and Tua this year where Tua feels a little bit more freer, you know, a little less relieved. He's not worried about what's going on in the front office or with the coaching staff or, or this, that, and the third, right? Before we wrap up, what do you think Mike McDaniel's um, p- positive impact has been not only on Tua, but on the team that can lead some, to some type of success? So I think Mike McDaniel's knows offensive football and he's just a better people person than what Brian Flores was. Mike McDaniel is an offensive mind. Flores came from a defensive standpoint, which was, challenge people get up in their face and 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 you know kind of like will them challenge them to be good Mike McDaniels is trying to love Tua to be good uh and that's more an offensive mind that's what Adam Gase did with Ryan Tannehill in 2016 right Joe Philbin hated Ryan Tannehill so as the rest of the Dolphins fans did (laughs) yes so so Gase comes in and loves on Ryan Tannehill. And for those games that, you know, that Tannehill was, was healthy that year, he started to climb and started to do better, built him up as a person as well as a quarterback. Look, we haven't even talked about it. Flores, he kind of deconstructed Tua. Right, broken down. You're on the trade block, bro. 
and he they were telling him you're on the trip we're trying to get someone else yeah actively during the season <laughs> so Crazy. how do you that that Tua fails with that i mean that's the total opposite of how to develop a quarterback right and so now he doesn't have to deal with that and he's getting the opposite effect we'll see what happens Awesome, man. Armando, thank you so much for joining us again, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you on Outkick and on Instagram and all of the rest of your social media. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's pretty simple. Outkick.com. I'm covering the entire NFL and the Miami Dolphins. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Armando Salguero. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much again for the time. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk again soon throughout this Dolphin season, brother. Sounds good. Go Kings. Go Kings. Yeah, look at that. Unrehearsed, people. Unrehearsed. Talk to you soon, brother.